Welcome back to Talk Back. I'm Kahari. And I'm Rishi. And we're two best friends talking theater and culture while spotlighting our Black and South Asian communities. Let's get into it. So it's been eight months since we've done an episode, but luckily, theater has been gone for eight months too. What did you expect us to cover? <laughs> exactly. Um, but we're back and super excited to, to have another episode today. And we're going to be digging into the conditions of the last eight months while we've been gone, both in the world and in the theater, while also providing our visions for what the next eight months could look like. So it's been a very intense few months, um, and we just had quite an intense election. Um, all things considered, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward, but I'm not, you know, I, I feel like I have friends who are kind of drowned in the despair and, and the violence, frankly, at this moment. And um, that's something that I feel like I've gotten out of a little bit, which is, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a privilege, but I'm grateful for that. What about you? So I'm just hoping that the future is full of action in terms of our country, but also like in all of our industries, including the theater. This is a time, you know, like as we escape a very urgent fascist threat, now is the time to not just like settle for what came before, but to actually think, you know, how do we get healthcare for everyone? How do we mm -hmm. <laughs> sign the Green New Deal? How do we make this country livable on a daily basis for people who are left out by politics, you know, every day? Yeah, and, and how do we do that with with grace, you know? I think any of my friends who are listening right now are going to laugh at me because I've been redundant with this, but um, trying to navigate this moment um, with as much intention and grace as possible has been important to me. So, um, you know, when we think about how we are going to move forward, um, how are we doing it in a way that actually uplifts the people who are suffering the most because of the circumstances of the pandemic? How are we listening to those most marginalized and, and most oppressed? You know, a group of Black, Indigenous, and POC artists, people and practitioners in the theater got together and created this list of demands for yep. the white American theater industrial co complex, I'll call it. And it was really inspiring to see the kind of collective agreements that people in the industry are, are making about where we need to go. I think the letter was so powerful and um, much needed. I think back to like May and June and how everyone around the country was protesting and there was all these reckonings happening in like all these industries. And I think the way it hit theater to me was, it was interesting because I feel like I was so appreciative to see that letter, but I'm also aware that talking about it is the very, very, very first step. I don't know, I think the more I think about the theater, frankly, I get a little bit more like, wow, this is not just like a small task. This is like a transformation that needs to happen. People start saying the right things, but like, it's so hard to actually change things. I think about how Tanya Pinkins is treated during that production of Mother Courage that happened a few years ago and how she yeah. was, you know, she hasn't really worked in the theater since, um, you know, and she talks about how like, luckily she has other creative skills that have kept her busy. But like, I don't know, I just think about all the people who are on a day-to-day -day affected by people who consider themselves like progressive, liberal white people. What's interesting about the, the demands they outlined is that they're not just demands to talk about things and to form committees. They're like, 
people need to be compensated better. Your, your boards need to be 50% people of color. These are huge disruptions. Um, I'm sure there are many like artistic directors and the theatrical leaders working really hard to address these issues, especially now when everything's dark. They need to be figuring out how to stay on their feet financially, and then they need yeah. to be addressing issues of injustice within their institutions. We're not creating theater right now the same way, so so this is a good time to, to pause and and to take stock of what your your practices are as a as an institution and how you can how you can better them to better serve um, black people and indigenous people and, people and all people of color. You know, I think it used to be like avoid politics if you're a performer. You know, just stick to your brand or whatever. And I think this year has kind of been like, we can't afford to do that. All of the, you know, performers and actors' equity are about to lose their health insurance as this year ends. Theater is so, one, affected by the, you know, the government and who's in power and how things are treated, you know what I mean? It's literally the difference between, like, actors working and having health care and them not. Um, and also, it's just like, you know, this is a small community talking about theater in a way that doesn't talk about the artists who are affected by it and the living conditions and all the political context that comes with that. You know what I mean? I, like you cannot be apolitical in this moment, especially in the theater. I'm, I'm thinking of AOC's Instagram Live where she's like, we're not going back to brunch. You're not yeah. going back to brunch. The, the question is what then are we going to come into? What theater are we going to step into? And I think what the industry is in the middle of is clarifying that. We do need to have a vision for what we're going to step into. And I think that's what's taking place right now. A lot of vision planning, strategic planning at an institutional level that, that I'm really excited about. But then I also am interested, especially with this transition of um, presidential power, what the, the feature of the arts could be. Um, I know like you were the one who sent me Jeremy O'Harris's letter to Biden and Harris about, and it was about many things that they could address in their presidency, just from his perspective. But I was really excited about his conversation of the reinstatement of the National Endowment for the Arts and um, bringing back the Federal Theater Project from FDR's yeah. presidency. And like, that would be a amazing shift if there could actually be federal funding for theater. That really excites me. The, the Federal Theater Project didn't last long. It was stopped by the House Un-American Committee and they completely removed funding. But even in its short time of existence, the Federal Theater Project is the reason why so many Black and Brown artists were able to start working. You know what I mean? Um, it also just created an economic infrastructure that that's why we have regional theaters. And it's like, what would happen if we decided to invest in the arts again? Like, what more could we build? The only reason it's considered elitist or inaccessible is because we've made it that way is because we haven't created an infrastructure where everyday people can access it everywhere. You know, Broadway's great and everything, but like, what if there were other Broadways in other places? What if Broadway yeah. in New York was expanded past Manhattan? Like, what if there was Broadway yeah. theaters in Queens and Broadway theaters in the Bronx? Like, like the idea that theater is this like luxury item is so toxic, you know what I mean? And I'm just so, you know, like sick of it. I think we, you know, we both are. Nothing radical has ever happened without like a commitment to just take a leap.
So what do you think is is next for theater? Um, and how do you envision what, you know, post-COVID is going to be like for, for theater makers? Well, I think there's two things that come to mind. One, I think for a while, this industry is going to be in a very broken place. There's not going to be a lot of money to go around. I don't think many audience members will even want to sit in the theater. I think it'll be really hard to sell out houses. We need immense governmental support for artists. We need healthcare that is for for everyone in this country that is not tied to a job. Well, listen, that's what I'm interested in. I'm yeah. interested in the aspiration and the vision. So tell me more. I don't think we realize like, you know, we don't have to live like this. What people miss when they talk about like, oh, you know, it's not the right time. It's not the right election cycle. Oh, we might lose is that every time there has been something that has changed the lives of people in a positive way, it is because we have put pressure. How do we start to realize that we don't have to just like ask for like crumbs every four years? Like we can, we can organize and like put pressure on our leaders to do more. You know, if we do, if we liberate people from all of the economic constraints and the, just like, I don't know, the societal constraints that we've built, do you know how much more creative, how much freer, how much um, just more um, vibrantly we will all live? And I think that goes for the theater, you know what I mean? I think, you know, one thing we need to do is like, how do we enable people to actually choose this as a profession? Like, how do we enable this to be a form that's not dying, you know what I mean? We should have theaters spaces in like Harlem. We should have theater spaces, you know, uptown in Manhattan. We should have theater spaces all over other boroughs, you know, um, that are considered and to Broadway. be clear, we do. Um, we right. do have theater spaces and all, but those like they should be considered Broadway need, too. Like exactly, but they just need funding. They just need to be put on and made visible. I have friends who won't even go to the side of town because like it's it's a violent space for them, right? Like it's not a space that they want to be in, and it's like you know, like, of course, they're not going to go to theater in a community like that, where they're surrounded by older white people who are going to make them feel weird about being in that space. And, you know, where they spent like $200 on a ticket to sit in the back. Like, I think about like, when Lin-Manuel Miranda did that entire ham for ham thing, which was, you know, cool at the time. And then I'm also thinking about how Jeremy has really pushed that with how he was trying to make affordable tickets for slave play. But it's like, we can't just rely on independent, single-minded, progressive creators. It's like, how do we just build it in? What is something you hope happens in the next few years in the theater? Revolution, like we need a seismic shift to really get where we want to be. And I understand that's not gonna happen overnight. So what I'm trying to figure out is how to manage growing pains. Yeah. Like, I think that's what we need to do as an industry. Like, we need to figure out how to move forward during a time like this, where we know that seismic shifts are needed, um, and, and how to do that really thoughtfully. And I actually went to the TEDx Broadway event, and for me, the, the, the theme that connected all of the different TED Talks was definitely resilience. You know, of course, it's a pandemic. There's lots of arts workers out of work. Um, so I think resilience is an important thing right now. Like, let's get through this. Um, mm -hmm. But I think resilience is going to be needed past this pandemic, um, all the way until we have this perfect Broadway we want. Um, and any like artists of color currently in the industry is resilient because yeah. they've gotten through and they have dealt with, you know, lots of adversity in the business. But um, 
like cultivating and practicing resilience intentionally is something that I think that I want for us because I know it's not going to be easy. Yeah, like there was a list of demands put out. I know they're not going to be listened to. Like, you know what I mean? Like Jeremy wrote in a letter to Biden and Harris. They're not listening to Jeremy or Harris. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, I, I think resilience is just going to be really important. So that's what that's what I'm I'm thinking about right now. I love that. And I also think it points to how so many times when we talk about the future, we also miss what are people's immediate needs, you know? Like, what do they need today, you know, to get through the day? Um, and I just think in general, like, I wish we had more of a culture of that. You know, I think part of it is like in a, you know, in an economy and all of, in a, in, a, in a kind of like societal system that is so individualistic, we're not even conditioned to think about anybody else's struggle. And like, what would happen Literally, if like, yeah. what would happen if like we were actually in community with people, um, in a way that wasn't like built around hierarchy, but that was built around needs as so many of these amazing organizers are. But if the theater community was actually a community that was, that was you know, truly mm. thinking about like, what are the needs of these artists? How do we cultivate this? Like, what if there wasn't power and hierarchy in the theater industry? And I, that's like impossible to imagine now, but you know, I think that's yeah, what it goes to. What if instead of, 20 new organizations being born there were like only a few that we actually invested a lot in because that's something that i'm like i don't even know where to donate or like which which organizations that are trying to support theater workers and and trying to um dismantle racism in the theater like there's just so many separate things happening um which is great because people are trying to make an impact but um to your point, like that, that makes it feel like there isn't as much of a community as there could be because we don't even know how to move forward together. Like everyone's just coming up with their own thing. So yeah. a lot of what I've been thinking about through COVID is how um, racism is and white supremacy are inherently tied to like boredom and, and less good art. <laughs> and I feel like the more we actually center anti-racism as a practice in the theater, the better theater will make, like the less we'll, be able to say oh yeah there's like these musical trends that continue for 15 years and no one's doing anything new like they'll just constantly be new things so um i'm excited about all of that converging like anti-racism converging with um like putting more women on stage converging with like just a better art um because i think i think that's what's possible to return to one of our favorite shows to reference Hadestown, I think <laughs> I think a lot about to the world we dream about and to the world we live in now. And just that that idea of like, be aware of the world you live in now and like be grounded in that reality, but also like you have to imagine better things. And like, I think we as artists, you know, or we as creative theater people, like that is something that luckily we have direct access to. So let's exercise that muscle and um, let's connect it to our politics and let's move forward. Let's dream. Just that word, like, I feel like people lose, lose touch um, with their dreams, so, so that's beautiful. Thank you guys so much for joining us today and we will see you next time. This is a really hard time for theater workers right now. So if you have the means to donate, we really encourage you to uh, head to our show notes to 
uh, donate to organizations that are supporting theater workers during the pandemic. We'll also have in the show notes links to organizations that are advocating for racial justice in the theater, which is of the utmost importance, um, especially right now while we're dark. So hope that you can also make contributions to those orgs. And if not, you can at least get to know about all the great work going on in the space. If you enjoyed the episode you just heard, please subscribe, rate, or review us. And if you'd like to continue the conversation or call us out, cancel us, whatever, please follow, tag, or DM us on social media. I'm at Kahari underscore blue on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm at Rishi Metallic on Twitter and at Rishi Pravamatalik on Insta. This episode was produced by Kahari Blue and Rishi Metallic. It was edited by Isabel Merrill and it featured music by Jazak Gammon, aka Marinate. We will see you next time.